there are going to be times where um, just being an entrepreneur or just making money isn't good enough to make you go through suffering for a prolonged period of time startups are suffering right for the founders it's an emotionally brutal journey it's very scarring as a journey and you can only be comfortable being in such distressful situations for a long period of time if the desire to solve the problem exceeds your desire to not be uh, in pain Hey everybody, welcome back to the Next Move podcast. And if this is your first time on the show, we are a podcast that share the stories of impact and change in India. And today I have Abhay Rangan with me who's the founder of Good Milk. We're on a mission to make sure that veganism is both affordable and accessible in India. And he's an extremely young founder who's doing incredible things and has been doing incredible things since a very very early age so i'm so happy to have you on abey how are you uh, thanks for having me arman and thanks for that really kind introduction i'm doing well thank you i hope you are as well uh, um, crazy times of course and uh, mm-hmm. i mean i'm hoping everybody gets through this uh, relatively easy let's get into it uh, your story is is one that's very unique and it's one that's very interesting as well and it's one that takes a very firm stance on what you believe in and pushing away from what on that point and i i really want to expand on that but first i want to start at what is the story behind it why did your family end up deciding to go vegan and what kind of role did that play in your life at a, such an early age right that's a that's a great question um my family decided to go vegan uh, for ethical reasons right so we were born vegetarian but we didn't really understand uh, what happens in the dairy industry because it's not something that's advertised or you know sometimes you have to seek out um, uh, what 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 goes on in these industries that's what my dad did uh, even as close to 11 years ago and um, and when when we found out that uh, the dairy industry was not what it was advertised to be which is you know happy cows grazing in the fields with their calves um, we we understood that um, we didn't want to finance this industry by buying its products anymore right as a consumer you have the power to vote every day with your money and um, the dairy industry was just something we could not uh, support in any good conscience and we decided to take a look at other things as well right because food is one part where animals are used but there's also cosmetics there's you know there's a whole host of things that animals are used and it, it it it's so ubiquitous everywhere and i really got us to think about our choices and we decided to go vegan my fam my parents did it first um they did it about 6 uh, months before my sister and i did it uh we went vegan in 2011 january 1st uh, as a new year's resolution uh, and we've been vegan ever since um as far as the impact it has had on my life it's it's really everything right so we we've, we've really changed the lens we look at with the world and the way we interact with it because we now have this deep understanding that there are trillions of individuals uh, individuals just like you and me who go through a lot of suffering at, at at human hands and not because it's a necessity because it's the way you know it could be habit it could be convenience tradition or taste whatever it is um uh, this system exists and it's broken in many ways and um it it really altered the way my life was supposed to go and even you know the 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 plan was to you know graduate get a job and then um uh, you know just i guess retire at the age of 60 but really everything changed after that right because now we could not sit on the sidelines knowing that this was happening to more than 2 plus trillion marine animals every year and 62 plus billion land animals every year you know it's such a large number and uh, we wanted to do our very best as a family to really um, help lessen that number get it as close to zero as possible so uh, every i would say every aspect of my personality and my life changed 
not in the not in the way i guess i can tangibly define as i would have been this otherwise it's just that this is my experience as i know it and uh, i'm a lot more driven today uh, and even as a family we're a lot more cohesive as a unit because we all have that one mission we're going after and minor disagreements don't really matter in the long run you know but so from such an early age cuz you were what 12 13 when that happened and you made the decision did did it really consume you at that point or or was it just like you know i'm just going to do this i'm going to make a decision with the money i spend or was it like as soon as it happened it clicked and you were like this is what i'm going to dedicate a large portion of my life to help so what was the thinking there at such an early age it was more gradual for me right so my parents it was kind of immediate uh, they turned vegan cold turkey that's what you that's what you call it so uh, they turned vegan cold turkey and that's a bad uh phrase to use uh, yeah. but uh, uh my sister and i took a little longer although she was convinced way before i was i was sort of the the hold out um and i think in many ways gradually coming into it and becoming more passionate about it is the most sustainable way to do it because people are motivated to do a lot of things immediately and that motivation does not last so uh, i had i had to sort of grow into it myself and actually uh, you know having um, having been vegan you know for for the first week or first month it really wasn't as impactful on my life but really what changed for me was having arguments with other family members who were not supportive at that time and really uh, wanting to defy them and prove them wrong was the only reason i started getting more into it right so that's just i think i would i would describe it to just the stubbornness i had as a teenager that really got me to be passionate you know someone had to annoy me into it <laughs> and uh, once it happened though uh, there was no looking back and also it was a formative uh, period in my life so it 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 all got together at that point and it it became the template upon which i sort of built everything else but um, it it the, the the turning point for me was just that there were so many people opposed to this and not my parents who were very supportive of course uh, who in fact led this whole thing but the rest of the world around us didn't know as much about plant based food or veganism at that point it wasn't cool right so uh, we were vegans before it was cool to be vegan and uh, and we uh, we had to face a lot of people just asking us weird questions and just invading up up you know a personal space a lot and then mm-hmm. asking very pointed questions and really uh, it 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 annoyed me to the point where i had to find these answers and and i became passionate about it after passionate about it after you know that's that's interesting because you know thinking of lo- of a lot of people at 13 14 15 and thinking of myself you you kind of just if you're unique you know you're doing something different you kind of a lot of kids just want to conform to what other kids are doing you know you don't necessarily want to take that plunge and be completely different so that that's really cool that you chose to do that and I, i'm wondering now you have this information and you have this drive you know you want to show people that this is the way to do things and you want to show them in the right way so h- how do you go about doing that i read that you started an ngo so could could you talk about that and a little bit about what you guys did in that organization sure um, I, i think it's a great point to bring up that um, a lot of kids try to conform to peer pressure Uh, you know luckily i guess and this is sort of just looking back and connecting the dots thing um i wasn't always belonging to the crowd in many ways you know i i was raised up on carnatic music which is um you know which is of course a great form of music but isn't very popular amongst the kids uh, mm-hmm. maybe that's changing now but at that time you know people just thought of you as a bit of a you know a good boy who yeah <laughs> <laughs> it, it isn't necessarily uh, things that people want to associate themselves with at that age and mm-hmm. uh, you know i was always sort of different in that sense right so i was i was a teacher's pet i was i was good at music i was good at academics and 
I was good at speaking, etc. So these were not things that my peers prioritized in their own lives anyway. So uh, being vegan wasn't all that much of a jarring experience in that sense because there were other experiences that made me uh, different in, in my own silo at that point. I was friends with everybody, but not uh, not to the point where I was the most popular guy in class or I was the person people looked up to or people thought mm-hmm. was cool. So um, that that added pressure was not there when I turned vegan. It was mostly with family members. So because I had that acceptance all along and mm-hmm. then uh, that sort of changed a little bit. Um, the nonprofit was really uh, my first attempt at doing something um, uh, in a grand way about this. And that was the intent. Uh, it was me and uh, my sister and I and a bunch of our neighbors who are passionate about the cause. We just went around our neighborhood handing out leaflets. And we figured out if we can do this in one neighborhood, why not others? And soon we were sort of in 10 Indian cities with 600 youth volunteers. All of us, all of them who are probably my age or younger than me, who led campaigns, uh, coordinated with a bunch of, at that point, adults and, and really brought, brought, brought a grassroots network uh, um, to, to, the, uh, to, to every city and then expanded upon it. We're doing campaigns twice a week, actually. I think at, at one point uh, we did maybe 100 or 200 campaigns that year. Um, and I use the word campaigns in a slightly different context. For us, it was just events. But I think a campaign uh, today, as I understand it, really refers to sort of having a goal politically or 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 uh, whatever you want to accomplish within a system. And then you sort of achieve that goal. And then you call what the, the whole process a campaign. We just called individual events as campaigns then. Uh, but uh, we were out there doing activism events uh, twice a week consistently for a good year and a half, two years. And then... Uh, a lot of a lot more of life happened. I, I I graduated from 12th grade, and and at that point we were relying on on philanthropic capital mainly to fund all of this. And I realized my own approach was wrong in many ways. Right? It was it was built around me as a person. There was a lot of ego that I had with the movement. And you know, when you are a servant of a movement, you really want to not have these bad things uh, cloud you from making the best possible judgment and decisions. And uh, I realized I'd lost my way in many ways. And uh, at, at any way, um, you know, uh, philanthropic capital does not let you scale uh, your movement as quickly as you want it to. Um, so I, I switched tracks a little bit and started focusing on something I could do that was more scalable and sustainable. And uh, that was sort of the end of the nonprofit. Uh, not formally, of course, the, the, the structure still exists, but it's not really functioning anymore. Okay. You know, and I, I love how when you were first you were talking about going vegan. A lot of people, like, for some reason, it's just a food choice. Like, you know, it, it makes it seem like when people say, you know, we're doing this, or, like, how can you, you know, discriminate against something just if you don't want to eat milk or curd? Like, for, for me, that it doesn't make sense why there's, you know, so much, you know, hate, it seems to be between non-veg and vegan and vegetarian. Like, the, it doesn't make sense. It's just you know, what people choose to do and it's good for the planet. So it's something that we should be doing. Um, so that, that always really interests me, like why there's so much strong opposition and so much feeling behind, especially going towards the vegan um, from the other side. But I, I want to get into also when you were doing the campaigns, what was the strangest reaction that you saw to someone having when you were talking about veganism? Like, is there anything funny? Like, is there a funny story that, that really surprised you when you were going around doing it? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll respond to two things that you just uh, said. You know, first one is that uh, people have a lot of angry responses towards vegans. And I think it comes from the understanding that a lot of people just think it's food choices. And it's really not, right? Um, a lot of vegans do go vegan uh, because they want to eat plant more plant-based or they want to eat, uh, eat healthier or whatever it is. For them, it may be a food choice. But really, the, the drive for many people, and uh, myself included, is that 
uh, we want to live a kinder life and we're really doing it uh, for the animals right so it's not it's not that we're as worried about what people eat as much as we are worried about who they hurt so uh shifting that lens sort of makes it easier for people to understand why vegans are passionate about what they do because uh the instinct for us is to protect uh, those around us that are vulnerable we have that instinct of compassion we have that instinct to really take care of of the people around us as a society who cannot take care of themselves and in in this case you know it is it is even more um, sort of sad because animals not only um, are just left to their devices and they can't take that's not that's not the case right it's that they're actively hurt and they're actively confined they're actively uh, made to grow in environments that are really bad for them and then they're killed at the end right it's it's a it's a forced cycle that they did not choose to be a part of and uh, that's why vegans are as passionate about telling other people about it it's not about purity it's not about being on a high horse uh, i know some people may make it seem that way but it's it's really just about hey we have the choice to not hurt animals can we not do that we'll we'll figure out the rest later right so that's 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 really i think my own reason for getting into it and talking so to other people about my, it so my my thought there is what what's the opposition to that like that makes sense like why is there opposition to that idea someone doesn't want to hurt animals someone doesn't want to support that industry and wants to help spread that message i don't see where the opposition is cuz i see i i hear it a lot on youtube and stuff like that i i look a lot into nutrition and there's a lot of opposition like so strongly but it doesn't make sense for for me personally right i think it's it's really um if i if i if i look within you know i i think some people on the zero waste side kind of um get to me right they're like um they're like you know your company uses plastic packaging you know you guys ought to do better and and at some level i know that that's true i don't really mm-hmm. have an opposition from a from a logical perspective but it kind of annoys me anyway right mm-hmm. and uh, it annoys me that some people think that they know better and it, it uh, uh, and i don't have a real cohesive argument to tell them i, I actually agree with them it's just that uh, it forces me to look at my own faults a little more seriously and that may be uncomfortable for a lot of people me too and uh, i think that explains uh, why some people have a problem with a lot of vegans but also i think a lot of vegans themselves can be very exuberant about it right mm-hmm. they don't get that they weren't vegan just a little while ago and yeah. it 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 takes a process of talking to people in a way that appeals to them and getting them to be on uh, getting them to uh, understand um uh, understanding their point of view and just just really helping them connect the dots but most people just see it as um it's it's easy to take it personally it's easy to say i am vegan now this is my identity therefore i must impose um whatever i say on other people and this is sort of a personal victory for me it takes away from the whole servanthood aspect of this right because vegans don't own uh, the the cause of animal rights right it's it's really the animals we're trying to help and in in many ways uh, usually in movements that you want to be an ally of uh, the, the there are representatives within the movement who are who are sort of leaders but animal rights is a very unique place where animals can't speak in english you know they can't go out on the streets and protest or go to legislators and talk to them about um uh, increasing more plant based options in schools or you know they can't do all of that so uh, it's up to us to be responsible about it and i think some people don't do it right uh, and they, they they tend to be very confrontational which may serve the purpose of them being right but does not serve the purpose of helping other people see their point of view so uh, and that's this probably why uh, a lot of people are just angry with vegans i haven't heard anybody who's actually fundamentally morally logically opposed to not eating animals you know it's mm-hmm. maybe maybe there are uh, people that that are on the on the side of i want to eat less animals but i still want to eat animals um, and you know 
a lot of people do it that way too but uh, really i think fundamentally everybody understands that they want to minimize their harm as much mm. as possible it's a very reasonable thing uh, and some people may even believe that veganism isn't as reasonable as uh, as uh, other people know it to be they think it, it takes a lot of compromise a lot of effort um, and uh, there's a lot, there's also this stereotype that being vegan is just eating grass foods etc it's just eating grass and stuff so there there are uh, fundamental biases that people have uh, and uh, it, it it takes a very calm a rational person to guide them through those things um, mm. and have a have a just a respectful conversation which a lot of people yeah and and you kind of hit on the problem that you eventually went about to try and solve with good milk you were saying that a lot of people think it's just eating grass a lot of people think it's not as accessible so how did the idea come up when you're transitioning from the ngo to you know say hey let's actually start you know walking the talk and get products to people and especially replacing milk in india which is you know really really important to everyone's diet here everyone loves milk and it's still such a big part of society so how did that idea come about and how did you go about executing on it? Right. And this ties back to your earlier question about a funny incident. I don't, I can't recall a funny incident, but I can recall a very important one. And this was uh, when we were doing these uh, awareness events, um, someone actually came up to me and said, um, Abhay, you know, vegan, uh, veganism is great. Uh, I want to be vegan, but these options are really expensive and I can't do it. And as someone who's who considers myself good at argumentation and winning debates etc this was one argument i could not refute they were actually right i mean it's another question altogether if uh, these people can afford it or not which is not my place to say uh, but uh, there was this problem of plant based food not being accessible or affordable plant based milks were you know anywhere between 150 to 300 rupees a liter and uh, uh, and dairy milk is what 50 to 60 rupees a liter there's this stark difference in in price and accessibility and it 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 put off the impression that eating plant based was this sort of elitist thing that people did and uh, uh we really wanted to at that point that is we when i say we it was me and my mom at that time um and as a family i i went home after that day and just had a conversation with my parents about this this incident and we realized that they were actually not that wrong and uh what we wanted to do simply at that time was to stop people from making this excuse that plant-based food was expensive. It wasn't to build a company really. It was to just say, let the other companies handle the, the commercial aspects of it, the scaling, whatever. We're just going to have one tiny option on the side that if people want something cheap, they can get it. Of course, that has grown a lot since and maybe we'll get into it uh, later in the conversation. But um, that was the sole intent uh, to start Good Milk. We were called Vegan RK at that time. Uh, as an activist, you know, I loved the idea of anarchy. Of course, I'm a capitalist now, so it doesn't really sit with me, so I had to change the name. But, <laughs> but um, uh, at that time, we started that with the intent of just making plant-based milk and plant-based curd and making them just cheap. Um, and that was that was the start of all of this. Okay. And, and at the start, was it just family and friends or, or how did the word start spreading to where you were thinking, okay, let, let's actually, you know, make this into a business. It makes sense. It was family and friends largely. Because of my activism roots, I, I had... I knew pretty much everybody in the community and everybody in the community knew me. And there were people who didn't have the time to make these products. And they also wanted to support uh, someone doing this uh, because they were very mission aligned with making plant-based food more accessible. So they bought us um, uh, and they kept buying. And after a while, uh, this was after I joined my engineering um, college, uh, I had dropped out of it later. Um, But uh, there was an incubation center that came up and uh, I was like, I have a business, might as well just go and apply. And uh, really, having those early conversations with people who actually knew how to build businesses helped us structure uh, all of this better. And 
quite a few people pointed out to me that we had this amazing opportunity amazing opportunity and i just never realized it i just wanted to do it for the sake of impact and and having that other option but at some point it clicked in my head that we could actually own the market uh we could actually build a company that that raked in crores in uh, revenue and then use that money for actual good right so uh when that clicked in my head uh, i really started looking at this a as more of a business opportunity and started building structures and systems around it that facilitated the growth of the company in ways that didn't involve me to be on whatsapp all the time right so uh, we really built that system uh, this just means websites and delivery infrastructure and so on uh, around the core model of my mom still manufacturing it back then so um, she was still doing it as late as end 2017 and only in 2018 after we raised our first round did we actually move to a, our first commercial facility and then things just really uh, became uh, so that i didn't have to do much of the um, deliveries and my mom didn't have to do much of the manufacturing so that was the pivotal transition for us on your deliveries i read that uh, th- this was crazy to me you were doing 500 kilometers of driving on a scooty every week just to deliver right. out all the items that must I'm thinking about Bangalore traffic. I'm thinking about the pollution. I'm thinking about sitting on a bike for that long, dude. That must have been awful. Talk about why you did that and and what was the experience like? Right. Uh at that time, uh there were no third-party delivery agencies you could outsource to, right? So they all wanted minimum volumes. They wanted um 100 orders a day or they wanted to charge you 200 bucks a delivery. Our our products cost at at that point 70 or 80 bucks a kg, right? And and it made no sense to be able to use these services and you know dunzone swiggy were not available back then I think swiggy was maybe but they were not doing what they're doing now which is uh, peer to peer deliveries um so we really had to rely on ourselves to make this happen and i didn't like doing it it was a horrible experience but we had no choice at that time right so a lot of a lot of these things came back to us having no choice we didn't have any money we didn't come from a business background um so it was just really doing what we could in our individual capacities uh to scale up and uh for the first uh, few months or so i uh, maybe even a year i think uh, it wasn't 500 kilometers at the beginning but at the at the end of it uh, when we just before we hired uh, a few other people to handle this for us it was close to 500 kilometers um a, a week and uh, maybe even more so uh, it was it was just a horrible experience but it it looking back it feels like i would never do that again but uh, back then you know i was young i was i was energetic i had the time i had the will to do it and i had the uh, I, i think i've been very stubborn also my life and i wasn't going to let this delivery problem defeat us so i just did it myself um and i think that that was important too because um i actually met our first customer on a, on their first delivery and i'm still in touch with her and uh, you, you know you have all these interesting moments where i'm a musician so i used to go to people's houses to deliver and they would ask me to sing because they knew i was a musician as well it was just it helped it helped us build all these amazing friendships and and this network of valuers who till today buy from us and and just and just know me and us and our mission and they they are most loyal uh, supporters so um there are, there's good and bad that came from it uh, and i wouldn't do it any other way really so so on that i'm i'm kind of interested so if you were to restart today like let's say everything's gone and you're starting a new business today What would you recommend to someone would you say like it's best to get down in the mud and actually you know do those deliveries meet those customers see what they're thinking talk to them or would you say like you know it it's more important to scale fast maybe get some funding have other people do it so maybe you can focus on some potentially higher value tasks what what's your thought about like the dichotomy there 
I think uh, uh, a really important question here is uh, this this idea of product market founder fit. So a startup try to achieve product market fit all the time, right? That's the, that's sort of the early stage mantra, so to speak, is that when you get to product market fit, you know you have to raise your next round and go after it. But really, uh, there's also product market founder fit. Why are you the best person to solve this problem? Because startups solve problems and um, you really want to understand why you of all people uh, of the 8 billion people on the planet are the person to solve this particular problem. And uh, what investors look for is, is that you are that person. For me, because I had no business background and no track records per, uh, per se, it was um, going, going, like I said, uh, doing the dirty work, uh, going out there, talking to customers, understanding what this industry needs, understanding our own pain points and trying to solve for them. Uh, that I think in many ways, maybe one of the people that were most suited to solve this mission along with a bunch of other mission aligned people. So um, if you already know this industry and uh, today I would do things differently, right? Because I'm very clued into the industry. I, uh, I, I think we have very original insights on what we should be solving for. And there are, there are even ideas that I can't pursue through good milk today, but I would, if I were to pursue those, um, uh, you know, I'm particularly uh, passionate about solving uh, the problem of fish because, you know, there's, two trillion of them killed every year. And I really want to do something about it. Um, uh, and that's not dairy. So we're not going to pursue it through good milk anytime soon. So, but if I were to do it, then I would now I do it differently. But if I were a complete beginner, then I would have to learn those lessons from the scratch. So I would go and do the dirty work. Um, and this does not mean we're not doing dirty work today. Right. I mean, uh, if, if need be, we still go to the warehouse, do the packing ourselves. You know, the management is very hands-on. Uh, and I think it, it helps us develop a sense of appreciation for the people who do it as well and not to make unreasonable demands, right? You want, as an employer, you want to take care of your team and to make sure that they, that they feel valued by you. And you can't do that if you make unreasonable asks very often. And you can only make reasonable asks if you've kind of been in their shoes. Um, otherwise, you have to rely on um, some form of assumption. Well, yeah, I think that's, that's a really, really powerful point. And I want to move on to, okay, so you're at this point, you're doing 500 km of deliveries a week. A lot of people are starting to slowly learn about good milk, but how do you kind of make that exponentially scale? Like, you know, you talked about, you went ahead and got funding. Um, so, so what role did that play and what, what kind of things did you do to really make sure that, you know, now you're delivering nationwide? How did you get to that point where the whole country is hearing about good milk? Uh, I think exponentially scaling um, refers usually to revenues, right? You want that Y stick, uh, sorry, that hockey, sh um, hockey stick shaped graph yeah. growth on your graph. Uh, but I think a lot of these things are also intangible, right? For us, getting our milk to be milk to be shelf stable, that brought in way more growth than um, than than trying to spend money on marketing and increasing that budget, right? So it is to solve. Uh, I think. Uh, a great thing to do is really look at the problem from a first principles perspective, right? Just really understand. Uh, you want to deliver plant-based milk nationwide. The, the, there are two options. Right? One, you could either make your milk shelf stable and use the existing infrastructure, or you could build out your own infrastructure. Finally enough, we've done both. In Bangalore, we have our own delivery team. Um, for the rest of the country, we rely on third-party uh, logistics partners. So um, it's, it's, it's understanding uh, that solving two or three very key problems unlocks way more growth for, for you than at a later stage, uh, you know, it's all about marketing metrics, optimizing for conversion rates, uh, really talking, talking to the right audience, etc. But in your early stage, when you don't know as much of the problem that you're trying to solve, um, um, and uh, it's very important that you don't fall in love with your solution, but you fall in love with solving the problem. Therefore, any solution that comes that is better, that is better can be implemented more quickly. Um, 
that that mindset helped us get to these places uh, uh, of course i think there may be even better solutions than ones we're pursuing today but and we keep reminding ourselves that it's important to not fall in love with the system we've built but really fall in love with making plant based food accessible that makes all the difference um i i don't know if we've achieved exponential growth in revenues yet i think we're still in many ways for some of our products still searching for product market fit as we scale other products that we think are close to product market fit it's um, i think it it's maybe a little easier in tech companies where you're building code and you can you can really deploy code very quickly um you respond to changes rapidly but in the food space uh, when you have minimum uh, volumes from your manufacturers the cycle of implementing uh, things is a little longer sometimes even months you know you buy 6 months of packaging up front then you can't make changes to your product uh, before those 6 months are over you've exhausted all your packaging otherwise you're a very inefficient machine so uh, especially the fmcg i think it's important to be flexible but also knowing that you can't be as flexible uh, so exponential growth in this case maybe um, achieved in different ways um, not necessarily as is very popularly known in software companies that that have the option of doing that much more quickly got it got it and i i want to talk to you about the 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 thing of educating a customer market that is so you know fixated on milk and that's just history it's long ingrained in people and families that milk is what we drink with our chai milk is what we drink you know with everything so i i i kind of want to know um how do you go about telling someone like look there's this option that does taste different like cuz even i drink i drink like uh vegan milk as well almond soy milks it does taste different but i i've grown to like the milk but how do you go about telling someone you know what what's the sale like to someone who was a milk drinker that you're trying to get to encourage to try a little bit of vegan milk right i think at this point we're focusing more on helping people who already are aware of why they want to try plant based milk uh, because there's a big market there and it's it's low hanging fruit right so uh, we haven't really gone down the road of conducting massive awareness campaigns i think we need a little, little more scale maybe we need to be about 10x bigger before i think we we have to set down that journey um um the way the way i see it um i think the question really is if your product tasted 99.9% like dairy if it was priced close to dairy and if it was way better for you than dairy was in terms of if you have a if you have a lactose intolerance or if you if you care about sustainability or if you care about animals maybe there's there's one motivator that 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 makes you forgive the 0.001% of a difference why would you not switch right so it's a very uh, it's a very powerful question that we ask and um, i think it's it's a problem both from the supply side and the demand side i think there's enough people who want to who want to use more plant based milk but um, the supply side which is products that don't really that don't really work like dairy in, in coffee or tea or other applications that milk is very commonly used in because how many people do you know that consume milk by the glass right it's uh, a lot of people use it in applications uh, it is ingrained in india's um, history of food and traditions around food because it is used so often in applications um, and uh, recipes so the the holy grail of solving for milk in india is to create a plant based milk that does the same job as milk uh, and can is virtually undetectable in recipes of course i think there is going to be some difference maybe even 2 or 3% because these are um these are adding numbers to to something that cannot be measured right but so let's say that there's a bit of a difference um but in applications where you add spices or if you add um any other ingredient and mix it well and then you get as close to dairy as possible in that application then i think you've you've done a fantastic job at getting as close as possible so we're trying to solve it from the supply side by making a product that works as close to dairy and um 
a common research out there suggests that people don't want plant-based milk to taste exactly like milk. They just want it to taste good. And honestly, a lot of the milks today don't taste good even. Um, so first, the, the solution is to make the milk taste good. And this sounds very simplistic, but it's actually a lot harder than people realize it is. Uh, and make it taste good in recipes. Make it look, look aesthetic. Uh, uh, a, lot, a common problem with plant-based dairy is that if you add it in coffee, it tends to curdle. You have a really, you have a really grainy coffee that doesn't look good. It looks really gritty and spoiled. Um, mm. Uh, that is the first thing we solve for right now. You can use our milk in really strong coffees and it would look like coffee. It would lighten that coffee adequately. So it's just going down to the micro sort of uh, uh, details of this application and solving for it. And then once you've achieved this foolproof product that works in a variety of applications, then you can go make a reasonable ask, which is for people to try it. And if they like that taste, they're going to switch anyway. Uh, because why wouldn't they? They just want to live mm. better, right? So everybody's interested in... Uh, either living a better quality of life or acquiring a better status in their own societies that they live in. And maybe mm-hmm. plant-based is a way to signal both or even achieve both. So uh, I think that's uh, that's our um, understanding of this whole thing. I, I really like how you think about those those small things because I, I agree sometimes, you because know, I, I was saying I use soy milk. Sometimes when I put it in my coffee, like you said, it curdles and it just, it doesn't give you that same pleasing feeling as when milk does because it's it's thicker and it comes right. out really beautifully. Uh, but that, that's really cool that you guys are doing that. And I, I wanna ask, you know, go into a little bit of the closing of the interview. I wanna ask, dude, you're so young, like, you know, and you, <laughs> you've been doing so much since you were like 16 on the NGO to now Good Milk. Does it ever like, is it ever weird to you? Does, does it ever cause doubt for you that you're like, you know, maybe I'm, I'm young, how, how do I go about this? Or you meet suppliers and they're like, you know, you, so young you know we usually deal with 40 and 50 year olds so talk about how that role has been playing you know when you've been starting up this business and and how have you navigated through it right this there's definitely a little bit of having to prove yourself right so uh when you're young uh you you do often uh you know you are often not taken as seriously by other people uh for one uh actually the pandemic helps a lot because when i I think my voice sounds older than I am. And when I talk to people <laughs> over the phone, they just think I'm older and that, that problem doesn't really exist. But, uh, uh, you know, there, there are credentials that come along the way, right? For example, um, I made, I mean, I had the good fortune of being Forbes under 30 uh, twice now. And um, that really brings credibility to what you're saying. Um, and if nothing else, you know, it's, it's, it's having that, uh, that thing back you up when you're talking to other people who know that they're talking to somebody who has done the dirty work and really isn't talking just because they're naive or, or they have this foolish desire. I think being young helps too in that you can dream quite unreasonably and being as, uh, being young is, is great if you're starting up because you don't have any responsibilities, right? I live with my parents right now. Uh, that's that's going to change soon. But, um, you know, I, I had the option of taking as much risk as I wanted to because I didn't have to pay my own bills. Um, and uh, so there's, and, and I have a lot of energy to even go do these deliveries, etc. So um, it lets you do things that may seem foolish at that point and doesn't scale, but um, it, it's actually quite powerful. And I think as a young person, a lot more people are willing to give you that time and advice for free. Uh, people just like the story of someone young doing it. So, in fact, uh, a lot of the things I know today about the plant-based space and about entrepreneurship in general just came from people who are wiser than me, right? And I think the third important thing was that I really found people who respected me for not my age, but really what I had to say. And we built a team around it. You know, these are experts. They have a lot of experience in the industry. They're, you know, fantastic people who are way smarter than I am. And they really run the daily operations of the company and and all that, right? As, as, as CEO, I think your job is to point out the general direction and help your, and 
maybe in many ways step out of the way as your experts do the job right because you can't do it better than they can and they really know how to do it so in many ways i tend to act as um, a supporting uh, mechanism for everybody within the organization and really help them do their best i think um, the organization is just an interface uh, between your employees and your customers and really you want to make sure that everybody on both sides of the of this wall are happy the company is an artificial barrier that exists in everybody's minds but really it's letting it's empowering your employees to do their best to help your customers benefit the most so um it's to it's also um, i one of my mentors really uh, showed me the value of servant leadership right which is what i'm trying to do um i don't know if i'm successful at it but really help people as opposed to telling them what to do and i'm uh, and i think that, that 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 model has worked out well for us so far even if i was maybe 40 50 this would probably still be the right model because um as a generalist uh, much like myself i don't have the specialization to be able to tackle very specific problems might as well leave it to the experts who know what they're doing and step out of the way that that's that's a very very cool point and and i agree it's probably going to be the same for a lot of founders who are very young that you know it's a good thing to bring in people of experience to help guide you and to help you know move the business on and i i just want to end on this last question and it's something i ask everybody who comes on the podcast it's right. what does it take to build something great from scratch and that's a great question um i think it takes um a deep understanding of the problem and uh, a deep desire to solve it uh, because there are going to be times where um just being an entrepreneur or just making money isn't good enough to make you go through suffering for a prolonged period of time startups are suffering right for the founders it's an emotionally brutal journey it's very scarring as a journey and you can only be comfortable being in such distressful situations for a long period of time if the desire to solve the problem exceeds your desire to not be uh, in pain so um what what it takes to build something from scratch is to uh to really fall in love with the problem that you're trying to solve and um and and i think specifically for young founders i think it's also important to while getting experts on board is really important is also um very key to understand that um there's a reason you're doing all this and um it's and there's a reason these people these experts trust you as well and not to sort of fall into the trap that you're only going to listen to what the experts have to say because the experts have their own biases as well and you as a founder are really going to have to um have your unique voice in all of this right and eventually uh, the decisions uh, that are key to the death or survival of your organization still fall on you so you can't defer it to the experts who don't have, who don't have as much skin in the game as you do because you've given most of your uh, adult life or maybe most of your teenage for or whatever most of your 20s uh, for for this so um those are some things that come to mind um um and i think just uh, the what i realized also is that the only thing that the only reason good milk didn't grow to this stage a year ago was my own limited understanding of the vision and uh, and the solutions that come with it so it is just be open to learning as much as you can and uh, uh, every every day really if if you meet a mentor and have a new data point it changes your vision it changes how big you think you can go and uh, being open to that possibility awesome and i think i think that's a great place to wrap up abey thank you so much for the time and coming on the podcast i really appreciate it thank you so much for having me arman can't wait to see it Of course. So everybody, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Next Move podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to leave a subscribe. We release new podcasts of 
stories of startups making the impact in India every single week. So thanks again for tuning in. See you in the next one.